You can now take care you of, can now take care of News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bolchevich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon, and it's another beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest, at least for us Pacific Northwesters, it's a beautiful day. Rainy in about 38 degrees, I think. Um, but this is the Bose News Show, and I'm your host, Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner. And we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Eugene, Oregon, as I'm down here in my office in Lane County doing the Bose News Show, reaching out to everybody out there in West Lane County, Lane County, State of Oregon, and across the world here through the internet to talk about whatever you want to talk about. All you have to do is call us at 646-721-9887. Again, that's 646-721-9887. And just press one that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. Yeah. It's been a really interesting week for me here uh, at Lane County because, uh, you know, it's not every week that you get a credible threat on your life. Uh, that that kind of makes life pretty interesting. I've gotten some threats before as a county commissioner, but they're somewhat nonspecific and not really actionable by law enforcement. You know, the kind of, you know, you ought to die and burn in hell sort of uh, anonymous email or something like that, uh, that you really, you know, it doesn't mention a time or a method or anything like that, uh, motivations. Uh, this, this threat was a credible threat. And it was a threat against the, the Board of Commissioners and some of the employees here at Lane County. And in particular, it was mentioned that uh, it, it might be carried out at our, at our next couple, and whatever that means, or a few board meetings. It was really um, pretty disconcerting to get get something like that and have to deal with that uh, and process that, deal with my wife processing that, uh, with the employees around the, the, the county processing that, and then to have to deal with uh, arranging our board meeting to be safe and making sure that we were going to hold a, a safe meeting. And it's interesting because there's this balance goes on. You know, we receive a threat and then as it goes into the investigation mode by the police agency and because the threat was received at our office here in Eugene, the Eugene Police Department's the lead agency. Uh, police agencies don't want you to talk about it at all because the specifics that are in the threat and the fact that you received one, all that information helps them do their investigation to determine if they've got the right person and all that. So they don't want you to, they didn't want us to even announce that we'd received the threat. Fortunately, the threat involved a public meeting, and we were going to have to do something to let the public know that that meeting was under threat, and that also we we're going to have to have extra security for that meeting. Uh, you know, people show up and we've got metal detectors out there, they're going to wonder why. Uh, also, if they showed up and went to the meeting and found out after the fact that we had a threat against that meeting, I think they'd be a little bit upset at us. So we actually put an announcement out uh, Monday that we had received this threat. Of course, we can't t talk about any of the specifics of the threat because the, the investigating agencies don't want us to, that we were going to have this additional security at the board meeting. And that way it kind of notified the public they can make a decision to come to the board meeting or not. And also um, it explains why we suddenly have uh, uniformed sheriff's patrol guards there with metal detecting wands uh, searching everybody as they come to the boardroom, uh, the uh, Harris Hall where we hold our board meetings. And uh, you, know, you, you have to understand this is 
not too long after what happened in Florida. And you can imagine that, you know, the sheriff is getting a lot of heat down there, a lot of different, you know, the schools, the, everybody's second guessing all the warning signs that were seen for that, that mass shooting event down there. And here we are being asked by the investigating agency not to talk publicly about the threat we received in light of that national news going on. And we just felt that we had to make some kind of public announcement around that. But it makes for a very interesting um, trying to carry out your business as a commissioner. You know, it's a very public uh, office. You know, I, I need to go out and meet with people. I need to uh, be in public quite often in very unsecure settings. And it's really, you know, and I'm just a member of the general public. I got to go buy my groceries. You know, I have to you know, go to the post office. You know, I, I have to go out in public places. And of course, you know, there's a couple places where you could count on finding me if you were somebody in the general public, which is going to and from the office building or to and from my home. So it makes it kind of nerve wracking to, to go through your daily routine, knowing that there might be somebody out there. Of course, it could just be some crank that sent in something for fun. You hope it's not, you know, that it wasn't a serious, you know, in, in some ways, because that's an awful stupid way to have fun. But it's really, um, really unsettling to be a public figure sometimes and have those things, you know, the, the, the generalized, you know, you should die and burn in hell. You kind of get some of that anyway. You know, it's part of just being a politician. People get really emotional about issues sometimes and say things that they don't really mean. Uh, but the specific threats are pretty, uh, pretty unnerving in some ways. You kind of wonder, you know, where is this country gone when that's the way people want to resolve a political issue? To actually make a threat against elected and public elected officials and public employees to try and uh, you know have it have an impact. It just it just really um, makes you wonder about today's society that that that's, that's a fallback to somebody to to make a a threat of violence or to achieve an objective, even if that objective is just to be famous, like the Florida shooter. Maybe that bullied you in the past. Uh, that, that, you know, where, where does our mind go wrong? That that becomes the, 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 the way to resolve an issue, resolve a problem, which brings up all sorts of interesting topics, uh, you know, about violence in general and and mental health in this country and you know, very interesting things uh so if you have any input on that you can give me a call at 646-721-9887 just press one let's get in on the conversation conversation again that's 646-721-9887 and press one we want to talk about you know threats of violence and uh, how to react to that and and do you think the board you know reacted too far by having metal detectors at our board meeting uh you know where where do you draw that line you know was it okay that we made the announcement or should we have stuck with the investigating police agencies and kept our mouth shut and let people come to a board meeting not knowing there had been a threat against it uh, that's kind of what i'm I, you know the decisions we were faced with here at Lane County. How do we deal with all that? And, and in addition, we're having to deal with the issue of, you know, we really want the public to be safe and have access to our meetings. I want the public to be able to feel comfortable coming to our meetings and being able to, you know, we always do public comment at the beginning of our board meetings and we let people address us for three minutes about whatever topic they want to address us about. We don't limit public comment. And one of the things I think that's really great about uh, uh, open and accessible our county uh, government is there's multiple ways to get input into the system. There's advisory committees you can volunteer to serve on. And having armed guards and metal detectors as you enter our meetings is not my idea of making it open and accessible. So 
lot of heartburn over having to make those sort of decisions as a commissioner of trying to make sure you have that access and feel free to talk to us. So we can move on to some other issues, though, if no one's interested in talking about that threat and, and re the reaction to it, how we're dealing with it. Again, the number is 646-721-9887. I have a couple other topics I want to talk about that kind of came up over the weekend. And one of those is, you know, the fact that we had a, a business that's located out in rural Lane County. And everyone's kind of aware of, you know, how wineries have sprouted up in, in Oregon and they have tasting rooms. And some of the bigger wineries actually have a restaurant. Uh, and that Business has gotten into, you know, they're holding weddings at wineries and things like that, and has gone through some uh, hiccups as far as, you know, that's usually done on agricultural resource lands and, and a lot of the state land use um, rules were written to protect ag land from commercial activities and where you, you know, where does it step over the line, you know, growing grapes is an agricultural activity holding weddings is more of a commercial activity. Where's the line kind of get drawn and all that. And it's actually had to take state legislation to kind of figure some of that out. And even some, you know, local, there's still localized problems we're having with wine just kind of pushing past their limits and stuff like that. Um, I had quite a few complaints about a winery out in my area that was holding wedding. Causing lots of issues that were as much as a mile away. So there is kind of this whole uh, tension between ag land and, of course, these wineries. You know, part of what makes them profitable is the ability to do those kind of events, not necessarily the grapes they grow and the wine they produce. So along comes a new business into this field of a group of folks and that wanted to grow hops and then start processing the hops and, and brewing some beer on, on a piece of ag property. And then ultimately they kind of opened a tasting room and got a CC permission to do it. And then they kind of morphed into a restaurant event area. And that was really, uh, you know, where they kind of went over, over beyond what is allowed. And, you know, to grow hops and to process them, they had permission for the restaurant and all that didn't. And ultimately, they ran afoul of a lot of different issues. And we've been dealing with them for several years about the fact that they've gone past the land use issues. And there's no state laws around breweries in ag land as there are wineries in ag land. Um, that are specific to their business. And at the same time, the place they were using was an ag structure that was not designed for human occupation. So there were a lot of building and safety code issues that were involved. Well, ultimately, about two weeks ago, that business was visited by the deputy state fire marshal. They found some issues there that needed immediate correction. Uh, there were health and safety, fire safety issues. And 10 days later, last Friday, um, there was a, a follow-up inspection, and they had not actually done what they were supposed to do, according to state fire marshal, and they had to tag the business uh, with a red tag, basically. That they had tagged the building with a red tag. They could have still operated elsewhere on the property or done something different. But that building basically was not allowed to be occupied because of the fire safety issue. And ultimately, over the weekend, the business put out a Facebook post saying that the county had made some kind of sudden change in interpretation of code and shut them down and didn't really tell the truth. And it generated a whole bunch of folks because it's a very popular business, this agrarian ales business, and they produce a really great beer but they weren't really telling the folks the truth on Facebook and generated a lot of questions. And ultimately, I think they got a little bit of egg on their face, even that the Eugene Weekly put up an article called Tempest Inter where they go through how they actually 
had had all this time to fix things and ultimately didn't. And that's how they got shut down. It was nothing sudden that the county did. In fact, it was actually the state fire marshal. <laughs> but we got a caller on the line, and I want to get to the caller here and bring uh, Michael into the conversation. Michael, you have a question or comment for the Bo's No Show here. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you, sir, for taking my call. And uh, I just wanted to ask, uh, where do you fall as far as, you know, the whole gun debate issue? Like, do you have a certain position that you have? Do you have solutions that you uh, think would work? And um, you know if, if the state of Oregon is doing anything in particular to try to secure schools um, locally in your state? Yeah. So as far as securing schools goes, first I'll say that county commissioners don't really have any li- – legal authority over the school system so we're not really technically involved with that too much other than schools that our sheriffs have to protect um, ultimately and respond to and we do work with a lot of the schools we've gone through alice trainings with them where uh, it's active shooter training that's a little bit more um, in depth with staff and and and, and, and about how to react to act, active shooters but as far as um, you know some of the gun debate goes and all that. I, I am more of a, a constitutional um, type person and I, I respect the Second Amendment. So some of the some of what's being proposed that uh, goes gets into uh, infringement of those Second Amendment rights, I'm not truly supportive of. But also, um, I think one of the places that we need to go is, is looking at some of what was the underlying uh, issues with some of these issues in these school shootings. And a lot of it was you know, several of them they had warnings on, whereas some of these, these kids identified in advance and, and really didn't get handled correctly. And uh, some of that needs to get improved on that end. The, the, the identifying, uh, connecting these kids with, with some intensive case management and some mental health help, uh, that, that, that's the, the preventative side. On the response side, once the active shooting's actually in place, the ALICE training some of the best. Um, I remember the exact acronym that ALICE stands for, but it basically is about not just cowering in the corner and hiding and waiting for the shooter to come to you. It's it's more of a, you know, you try and escape and, and leave the, the vicinity first. If you can't, there's you try and barricade yourself in. If the person does come in the room, it, it, you actually fight back instead of just staying in the corners. It, it's a, a pretty uh, progressive set of training. But you know, first thing is is to try and get out and escape. So that's kind of the more Alice training we can provide in schools, the better identification of some of these uh, troubled kids and connecting them with services. I think it's really going to have much more of an impact than some of the uh, the law changes that are being proposed as far as gun laws go. And do you see anything wrong with how the Democrats um, seem to be almost standing on the graves of the children and basically using this tragedy as a way to push their agenda like we saw with the CNN town hall last week? Um, I, I didn't actually get to see the CNN town hall. I heard some audio from it, so I can't really, I don't, I don't make comment on something I don't have really good knowledge of. That, that anytime there's a tragedy, people will tend to, uh, and particularly in something that they can convert into a crisis, that's a lot of poli- the politics of crisis is quite often, and you can usually accuse people of um, using victims to political ends, uh, and, I, and I, I want to be careful about doing that because, you know, I see people. Um, I deal with issues here where there's people that believe they're victims of, of everything from uh, aerial spray to uh, other issues. I don't get into to saying that people are. are are standing on people's graves or using victims in political ends because it, that's a really gray area. I, I do know that some of the the crowd behaviors I saw or heard in that that um, here in County, which I don't approve of, that kind of mob mentality and, and not letting somebody speak is really I don't approve of. <laughs> Thank you.
he dropped out. Yep. So yeah, it's you know, I I, I appreciate the, the the conversation. I don't really want to get to where I think somebody's, you know, I don't I don't want to accuse somebody of standing on somebody's grave because one of these days I'm you know I'm worried that you know I'll I'll be promoting something that there happens to be victims involved. Um, in fact, I've been a big, big promoter of trying to crack down on DUII um, laws in the past and trying to do something about that. And, you know, I don't want people accusing me of standing on the graves of people that have died from drunk drivers. You know? <laughs> I don't want to lose the conversation about I'm just trying to prevent the deaths in the first place. And it's not about standing on anybody's graves. It's about a public health issue that people die. People are dying of, of gunfire in this country. Um, actually, less than there are from drunk driving. But still, you could consider that a public health issue. And I'm not going to accuse somebody of trying to resolve a public health issue, even if it might be uh, wrongheaded. And the tactics involved, I thought, were um, mob mentality at times in that, in that town hall. I'm still not going to accuse that person of standing on somebody's grave. It's 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 not a good place to start from. And I've talked about this in past those those shows. I always wanted to assume that even when I disagree with somebody about what the proper policy is, I want to assume they have good intent. And when you when you say that somebody's standing on somebody's grave, you're starting to already assume they don't have good intent, and therefore you won't actively listen to what they're proposing and have a real conversation about solutions because they're already assuming bad intent. And, and that's really something I try and stay away from mentally so I can have good conversations so I can actively listen because you know, every once in a while, somebody you disagree with really has a good idea. And if, and if you immediately assume bad intent, you won't listen well to that good idea and come to that compromise or find that solution that you didn't think of because you immediately pigeonholed that person in your mind. So that's an exercise I like to take care of and standing on people's, you know, accusing somebody of standing on the graves of, of victims is a good way to put yourself in the mindset not to listen to solutions, even if you don't agree with those solutions. So going back to agrarian ales, Unless somebody wants to call in at Austin six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven and talk about our threats of violence on our board meetings and other issues we've had here, or you know threats of violence across the country. In fact, uh, there was a bill proposed by uh, Senator uh, Tim Canope here in Oregon to raise the level of offense for making those kind of threats, even if they are not serious you know the kind of threats that are made by school kids to get school get out of a test <laughs> that sort of thing even when those threats are serious if that's all they were was a threat with no real intent to carry them out you know there's no act no act other laws broken they only rise to a level of a misdemeanor in this state and senator Canote's bill would make them felonies to to make a threat of mass violence um so it's kind of interesting, you know, should that be a felony or not? You know, if you have any opinions about that, you can also give us a call here at 646-721-9887 here on the Bose Nose Show. Just there, press there, one. There on that one, Jay. Sure, Robin. Well, I was just thinking that, yeah, in, in one, on one hand, that's a good idea. But on the other hand, when do you cross the line and, and eating a Pop-Tart wrong becomes a uh, considered a threat? Yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, the, the, the thing I'd like to, to remind people of is there is actually a def, definitions of threats that rise to the level of criminality and whether they're a misdemeanor crime or a felony crime is what this bill is about. But you don't have an actionable crime unless the threat is specific as to um, time and manner. You know, the, you, you, a generalized threat such as carrying around a Pop-Tart that's been eaten in the shape of a gun is not really biased the level of criminality. <laughs> Pointing your finger at somebody shaped like a gun is not a threat that relies, rises to the level of criminality. 
you know, it might be bad taste, but it's not a crime. Now, if you point your finger and say, I am going to shoot you tomorrow when you're leaving your house in the morning, that is a threat that is actually a crime. You know, that, that's the difference, you know, what we're talking about here. So, you know, the, they don't generally close school and keep kids from taking a test unless there's a specific enough threat called in or put out on Twitter or whatever else people are doing nowadays. Uh, that causes that that reaction usually re re revolves around actual time, place, manner of the violence, and and that's really what it differentiates that. So I think you're right. Worry about the slippery slope sometimes of what makes a felony, but um, I do do agree with Senator Canope that you know, we've had multiple threats called in, kind of as copycats to Florida here in the state in the last week. Not to mention this threat against the board. What if it turns out it was all that was was a threat? Is that person actually going to be held, you know, for a misdemeanor for you know us having to pull in multiple staff and make people go through the indignity of uh, being wanted and possibly searched to come into our meetings? Is that is that just a misdemeanor? You know. You know I I I I kind of think there needs to be at least some secondary um, level of crime where there's a different, you know, kind of like there's there's misdemeanor assault and there's felony assault. You know, and if you smack somebody on the cheek because they pissed you off, yeah, that's assault. If you even even if you poke somebody with your finger in the chest, that's assault technically. Technically, now is it felony assault or is it misdemeanor assault? And I think there needs to be at least some version of felony making a threat, you know, for, of mass violence. And I think that's, uh, I think that might be where, where we can get away from, you know, the, the kid that eats his pop tart in the shape of a gun. <laughs> that's about zero tolerance rules in schools. And that's a whole nother topic we could get into that is, is some of that insanity that we see yeah especially if it's a frosted pop tart yeah <laughs> yeah or, or you know I, I don't know if they make uh high capacity pop tarts or not <laughs> look out it's got spreckles yeah yeah oh I, it's a military pop tart <laughs> uh i'm sorry i shouldn't make fun of that <laughs> The appearance of the pop tart. That's right. Yeah, it was yeah. loaded. It was jelly filled. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's I, I, almost too funny. Oh. <laughs> you completely sidetracked me there, Robin. <clears throat> well, the sad part is that this story is true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the part about a kid getting expelled for biting his pop tart into the shape of the gun is a true story, and it's about zero tolerance rules in schools. Kind of like the kids that get sent home and expelled for having aspirin on them that wasn't, you know, wasn't theirs because there's a zero po tolerance policy for drugs. So, so anyways, about the winery. Yeah, yeah, about wineries and breweries and all that stuff. So it gets kind of gets into this whole issue for me about you know one of the things that the folks that that you know were with agrarian the business put out on facebook was they wanted folks to call us or email us and ask us for our help in in getting them back open and until they can take corrective action now do you think starting off your facebook post by accusing the folks that you want help from of doing something that's sudden and a reinterpretation and closing them down for no reason when we know for a fact on our side that's not the truth is you know a way to actually gain our favor and and ask for help <laughs> it it seems like it would have been kind of better if they said oops we made a mistake 
We're going to try and fix it. But in the meantime, we've got this other issue about our zoning that we really need some help from the commissioners on. Would you mind contacting them and asking them for their help? That might have been a little bit better method of going. Although I'm just going to chalk it up to these folks who are completely um, unexperienced in, in, in the world of politics and maybe asking for help and trying and embarrassed about the fact that they had made this error um, that got them shut down. And given the benefit of the doubt, and I'm all more than willing to help them, partly because I'm just pro-business. I want to see this small business succeed. They're, you know, they put out a good product. I've heard great things about the folks that have gone out there to their venue. Uh, they have some family-friendly events where they do um, people get to sort hops and learn about hops and all that stuff. It's really a good business. I want them to succeed. The, the issue they have is it's going to take legislation to get them right with the land use laws. It's going to take some work on their part to get them right with the building and fire safety code laws. But you know we can't waive fire safety code. We're, we're, that's something we just don't have the option to do to allow them to keep operating in violation of those. They're going to have to fix that on their end. The zoning issue, we can work with them to keep the you know because we didn't there wasn't we never really immediately shut anybody down for violating zoning code. That's one of the things that surprising I saw that we made this sudden reinterpretation. We are notorious for taking our time when it comes to zoning enforcement. We try, we have a philosophy at Lane County. We try for voluntary compliance first. Is, is what we do in almost everything we approach the public when there's an issue about uh, not meeting the rules, partly because there are so many rules on the books, people sometimes don't realize they're violating them. You know, you don't want to just immediately come in and say, you know, what, you're violating that rule. Here's a ticket, a fine for a thousand bucks. It's going to go go up every day. You don't pay it. And if you don't pay it, we're going to put a lien on your property and take your house. That's not what Lane County does. The first thing we do is is have a conversation, talk about, you know, were you aware of this rule? Do you understand this is violating the rule? We'd like you to change that. Doesn't we usually follow up with a letter says please you know this is a request for voluntary compliance here's the reference to the code and all that stuff uh, there you know, if there is a way of getting a special use permit or an exception or something like that we might point them to that process in the meantime we'd like you to discontinue whatever it is you're doing that process of progressive enforcement starting out with a request for voluntary compliance can take us months to get through you know where where in fact sometimes and we don't usually do enforcement actions unless we have a complaint we don't go out looking for people who are breaking our rules it's usually generated from somebody calling in and complaining sometimes the neighbors that made the complaint get pretty frustrated with us because we do go through this voluntary compliance so that's one of the reasons why it was so uh kind of upsetting to see agrarian come out there and say made this sudden change and did something suddenly to close them down. That is just not how Lane County operates unless there's a true imminent threat to life safety. And in the case of, of agrarian, there was an imminent threat that the fire marshal had identified and that's why the immediate closure happened. I can Think of a couple other instances where Lane County has taken immediate action on something. There was a um, music event planned out in the country with no permits during a red flag fire warning that we took immediate action to get an injunction to shut down because it would have been such a hazard to have that event happen out there during this red flag situation of, of fire hazard out in the rural area, far away from fire services, close to the forest lands and close to areas where there was a lot of forest um, urban interface where people actually live up against the forest lands. That sort of immediate life safety threat 
yes, we won't go through progressive. We want you to comply first uh, type, you know, voluntary compliance. Yeah, we'll go to more immediate action. But 90% of the, the compliance actions Lane County takes start out in a very voluntary request sort of uh, in person first, letter second, you know, continuing, you know, certified letter maybe later, you know, it goes on and on and on until we, you know, it takes a long time before we get to the point where we're actually fining people. If their fines aren't getting paid, where we might actually put a lien against the property. So it it's uh, rare that we'll take an action where we shut somebody down and, and do something immediate. So um, having agrarian put that out there, you know, immediately made people think we were being unjust uh, because they weren't putting out the truth. And it's that sort of um, um, false statement about what county actions are, what we do, that can generate that emotion out there that causes us to get threats of violence. Now, there's no connection between agrarian and our the threat we got. That, that's uh, they're completely separate issues. So please don't conflate those. But I really wish people would think carefully before they put out false information. And particularly when they put it out in an emotional way, to gen in a way to generate emotion. Because in today's world, there are people out there that are on the edge enough that they're willing to convert that false information and the emotion generated by it into an action that you might not want to be associated with. So I just, I really would hope that the folks would think twice out there about how they put information out and the context they put it in. And also think twice, if you really want somebody's help, start with the truth and ask for their help honestly. And, and you know, I, I pride myself on trying to help people work their way through red tape. It's a lot of what I do as a commissioner is that constituent service where somebody's just run into the wall, they need a little help, um, and I can quite often connect them. You know, sometimes people don't even know which level government they're supposed to be dealing with for the problem they have. And, and I don't blame them because there's municipal government, there's county government, there's state agencies, there's federal agencies, and there's all sorts of levels in uh, associations and special districts and who knows what. So people will come to me with a question, I've got this problem, and half the time, I, all I really do to help them is identify which government agency they're supposed to be dealing with. And, and getting them in the correct door is 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 ninety percent of fixing their problem. And I'm familiar a lot of times with who they should be talking to, just because I've had to deal with so many constituent issues, and I'm so close to government, I understand who has authority over what better than the general public does. So I really appreciate being able to help people with that because I'm not expecting the average Joe citizen walking around out there to understand that if he wants to do, say, uh, drill a well or build a, a pond in his backyard by damming up a creek, that that's really not the county permitting for that. that. That has to be done through the state because you're dealing with waters of the state and water rights and other issues there that you need to be talking with the state about. And, and specifically, you need to be talking with Division of State Lands and a few other agencies, uh, OWRD, Oregon Water Resources Department, depending on exactly what you're going to do. Average citizens shouldn't have to walk around with a walking, working knowledge of that. But if, if you know they have that question, they want to come to me, I know that because I've had to deal with it before. And I know that because I know that's where my, I know I don't have that authority as a county commissioner over that particular resource so anytime i can be helpful to somebody you got a question about that give me a call here at bo's no show 646-721-9887 just robin my call screener and producer extraordinaire know you want to get in on the conversation again that's 646-721-9887 just press one 
and I can help you out with, you know, which government agency you might need to, to contact. Every once in a while, I do have to say, let me go back and look into that because I don't know either. And that's one of the things I try and do too. If I don't know something, I'll tell you, but I will look into it and try and find an answer for you. So there was one other thing that was on my mind in the last week, and it's partly, it's been on my mind for a while. In fact, it goes back a long ways. It's been on my mind, you know, road safety has always been on my mind. One of the things I did as a civil engineer is I designed a lot of new roadways in subdivisions. I've done pieces of highways under contract for public agencies. And there's a lot that goes into the safety of a road and design. But sometimes we're dealing with roads that we sort of inherit or just in, are inherently unsafe for various reasons or have gotten unsafe over time. And Highway 126 West has been one of those roadways that is just inherently unsafe. And in fact, uh, back in 2014, there was a period of about 12 months that kind of came up into 2015 where we had 10 deaths in 12 months in between the city of Eugene and the town of Mapleton. In a short little 40 mile stretch of highway, we had 10 fatalities. And recently we've had two fatalities in that same stretch in a period of a week. And that has brought up a lot of attention again on Highway 126 and folks have been asking me about it. And one of the things I promised some folks that I would do on Facebook, would I would, I would go and put a list together in one place of all the projects that have been done recently by ODOT to try and make the road and some of the stuff that's out there that may not have funding and all that but put it all in one place so you can know um, where that is and if you go to my uh, Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner Facebook page. There's a, a article there that links to that. If you go to jbozovich.com, which is my um, political page where I'm running for commissioner, there's a news tab there. You click on that news tab, the top news story and link there is to that list. And then you get a complete list there of all the projects that are coming up. And it really um, it's pretty comprehensive and I'm kind of proud of it because a lot of those projects came out of a 2015 task force I led after those 10 fatalities. And it was a safety task force that had ODOT folks there from their uh, design side, from their prevention side, their accident investigation folks had OSP there. We had the sheriff's office there. I had some folks that were from uh, fire and EMS side. I had, some, uh, I had the chief of Lane Fire District. I had somebody that works for Eugene, that's a captain in the Eugene Fire, um, and also just happens to live on Highway 126. And also um, even had some folks from the Sayusla School District and some, some citizen representation and somebody from the city of Benita all the talk about Highway 126 and one of the things we did in that task force was look at 10 years worth of crash data for Highway 126. Not just the last year, but we went 10 years back, all the fatal and serious accidents, what were the causes and the majority, like 90% of the fatal and serious accidents were lane departure accidents where somebody left their lane and either hit oncoming traffic or went off the road and hit a fixed object uh combination to those not so much the the rear end type stuff or somebody that turned in front of somebody and got t-boned it's mostly lane departure and almost all the lane departures were related to driver behavior either going too fast and and by too fast i mean also too fast for road conditions like driving 55 maybe in a 55 zone but it just happened to be 32 degrees and foggy and there was black ice or, um, you know, just driving, you know, 85 miles an hour into a curve that was really should have been doing 45 and you, you go off the road. The other issue was, was impaired driving, whether that's, you know, drunk driving or driving high, 
or um, even folks that are, are driving drowsy, but that impaired driving was one of the causes. And then distracted driving, where somebody just took their eye off the road, was fishing around in their, you know, in their seat for their their uh, their, their cell phone or texting, whatever it is they were doing other than driving, and they that moment of inattention, they left their lane and caused the accident. All those are driver behaviors. So it's really hard to design a road around driver behavior, but a lot of those various projects, though, actually have some ability to do a little bit of driver behavior correction in that when they were originally going through and going to repave 126 and they've been they started down in the Florence area and been working their way east with the repaving projects kind of doing about um, eight to ten or twelve miles a year uh, that that's about how much they can handle in the summer construction season they initially were just doing repaving and you know doing a little bit of you know guardrail you know repairs and th stuff like that it was mostly about just kind of uh, make road condition good the surface condition of the road what they changed in those projects once we had this task force was what else can we do while we're out there doing this repaving project that'll make the road safer and they started looking for places they could add additional guardrails where they could widen uh, shoulders out to give more runoff room and then they added rumble strips to the projects so one of the first projects that's on the list the project was done in 2016 after the task force where they added rumble strips and it was a repaving project um, from basically milepost uh, 40 to 47 and included some restriping in there but they did the rumble strips the whole length of it and that that was the first project there and those rumble strips would not have been in that project if we hadn't had the task force and saw that lane departure was such an issue. So hopefully those rumble strips kind of get to the folks that are um, distracted or maybe a little bit impaired and, and, and whatever mm -hmm. else can get, get them to correct before they actually have that accident. But still, it's not a substitute for folks just paying attention, slowing down a little bit, and not drinking and driving, you know? Tell them what's unique about the rumble strip strips on this road what what's unique about them yeah they're in the center of the lane yeah yeah they run right down the center line yeah kind of keep that crossover thing going going on and they also have some that are shoulder rumble strips in places got to be a little bit careful about the shoulder ones though if they're in a place where they get hit a lot and it's in front of somebody's house <laughs> you don't necessarily want to listen to that every day um, if you're living in that house, but the center line ones, they definitely do, no matter what, whether there's a house there or not for the entire length. So it really, uh, really one of those things that is a little piece of safety that we can kind of add into that, that whole uh, construction projects. So really um, it was great to see them add that in there, that, that project. There are some upcoming projects, and there's there's two of them. One of them that was added specifically for the task because of the task, and that's they're going to add a new passing lane uh, to that trip over to the coast. One of the things that happens is people get so dang impatient about slow-moving vehicles, they try and pass in places that are a little bit sketchy, and that's part of where you get people going way too fast because they're trying to make the pass very quickly, and they get to the next curve, and then there's their lane departure accident. <laughs> so, uh, adding an extra passing lane where slow moving vehicles can pull over in that right side and people can get around them might save some of that road rage sort of bad driving behaviors. And that one's scheduled for um, construction in 2019. It's a $5 million project just, uh, and it's a, that area that's just west of uh, Walton there, uh, they call it Chickahominy Creek, uh, to Walker Creek is the area. Then project next year where they're going to repave some of the worst pavement in the state of Oregon. And I don't know if any of you have driven over the causeway between Benita and Eugene, 
but that is some of the worst pavement in the state. And they're going to be repaving that this coming summer. So along with your, you know, the usual commute there, you can kind of expect that it might cause a few delays in that area. And most of it's going to be done at night. They do a lot of this work at night, which is one of the reasons why the expense gets a little high. And it's mostly so they don't interfere with normal traffic. But there is going to be a piece of that where they're going to have to do some bridge uh, abutment construction on a little creek down near Fisher Avenue for folks that are familiar with the area. That's going to be down to one lane 24-7 for a little while with flagging. So be prepared. This summer is going to be a mess. With you know, in seasons in Oregon anyway. Winter and construction. <laughs> and uh, it's going to be a mess on 126, but ultimately we're going to get that nice smooth pavement with the centerline rumble strip, uh, the extra reflectors in the centerline, all that stuff that came with the projects uh, on the west side of Benita last summer will now happen between Benita and Eugene. And we'll get a nice smooth uh, surface there. So hopefully you won't, you know, I heard some people were dodging uh, tire eating potholes and that's one of the reasons you were seeing people get out of their lanes. Uh, so hopefully we won't see that happen this, you know, in the winter of 2018-19 that we'll have nice new pavement out there. So those are a couple of projects that are actually funded and, and scheduled and ready to go. Ultimately, there's a long-term plan to make that four lanes out there across the causeway and build an alternative bike ped path that will run parallel to 126 just to the south um, that will keep, you know, kind of get the bikes off that because I don't know if anyone's ever come along a bike on that causeway, but it's, there's almost no way to get around them unless there's absolutely no traffic coming the other way. It's just too narrow. So that's one of the things I'll try and do. But that project has to go through a environmental analysis that's required by the National Environmental Protection Act, which um, or that's known as NEPA, and that actually has funding that came through the legislature last year. But they only gave us $3 million and the estimated cost was $5 million for the environmental studies. So even that's not fully funded yet. And ultimately, the four-lane fix was estimated to be about a $200 million project. And that funding has not been identified. But that's where things need to go in the future because that section of highway carries the same amount of traffic that Highway 99 carries up to Junction City. And you look at what Highway 99 looks like. It's five lanes wide, beautiful pavement. Um, that's what it needs to be. We need to get it there. So if you want to read all about that stuff, just go to jbozovich.com or go to my uh, Jay Bozovich West Lane County Commissioner Facebook page and the articles there. And you can click on the link and read about those projects um, and understand what's planned for Highway 126, hopefully to improve the safety in the future. And uh, that's really uh, where we want to see things go. I'm kind of proud about the work, advocacy work I've done for 126 because quite a bit to try and get it up to the attention of the legislators to even add that $3 million into the budget. Mobilizing some of the folks out in West Lane County to actually call legis key legislators and let them know that they wanted 126 fixed. So. I, I appreciate the help I got from my constituents out there, and I've really, um, I'm really i going to keep putting the pressure on this. I'm going to try and find that funding for the big fix project uh, of the four lanes, and we'll keep moving ahead. Ultimately, though, the driver behaviors have to change, and that's about enforcement. And there's, that's an issue that also needs to be tackled both by the legislature and here at the county commission because one of the things folks not, might not be aware of is the state police used to have over 600 troopers on the road, and they're down to just over 300 now. And that's purely because they've had their funding cut over the years by the state legislature. So at the number of people on Oregon's roads and the vehicle miles traveled has gone up. So 
while the amount of people driving has gone up, the amount of troopers enforcing our laws has gone down. At the same time, the forest funding to counties for federal forests disappeared. So a lot of the counties that were heavily dependent on federal forest payments had to cut their sheriff's patrol staff. So you had this dwindling effect on an OSP. Sheriff's patrols have dropped out, and mostly that area is southwestern Oregon, which includes Lane County, Douglas County, Josephine. You know, all those counties that were heavily timber dependent have had to reduce their sheriff's patrol. So when you go out in rural southwestern Oregon, like Highway 126, you rarely see traffic enforcement going on, which gives people kind of this that they can go out and drive just about any way they want. There's no consequences for it. So we need to ultimately work on that side of the problem too. I mean, I'll keep working on the facilities side, which is really expensive to, to try and correct driver behavior with engineering because it's not truly correctable. Enforcement does that though. That's shown to be effective for, for changing people's behaviors. But we need to get our legislature to fully fund OSP, and we need to find a way to get some local permanent funding for our sheriff's office that will allow us to restore some of that patrol because we can't count on Capitol Hill and and said to provide us that forest funding you know, that we became dependent on in the past. So there's more work to be done. On, on traffic safety, and I'm I am continuing that work. I'm looking at ways of trying to permanently fund the sheriff's office through a uh, law enforcement district model similar to what they've done out in Deschutes County. And we're moving ahead with that, but that's a longer term fix, and it's going to take a while. But you folks that are listening to the Bo's Nose Show out there, you can make a difference. Call your state legislators and your, your House representatives, your senators, and tell them you think that OSP needs to get better funding so we can get some of these traffic deaths down. Because it's not just Highway 126. Highway 58's had a lot of fatalities. Highway 126 East up towards Blue River and all that's had their fatalities. I mean, it's, it's a situation where that lack of enforcement is leading to driver behaviors that are just crazy and causing uh, issues. And we need to get the enforcement back up to try and change some of those driver behaviors. So we've got about two minutes left in the Bose News Show. I probably still have time to cram a phone call in if you want to call me at 646-721-9887. Just press 1, get in on the conversation here. So I've thrown some pretty med red meat topics out today, and I'm hoping maybe we can have a conversation next week about it if you didn't get in today. Talked a little bit about threats of violence and you know the situation across the country with school shootings and, and the threat we here locally in Lane County uh, against the Board of Commissioners. We talked a little bit about agrarian ales and zoning and land use issues. And boy, how, how those can impact our ability to be nimble and, and, and do businesses that don't meet the old zoning code. How do we keep those up and running? Talk 126 and traffic safety. So lots of issues to talk about. And you know, last week we talked about housing. I never even got to get into what happened at the Better Housing Together uh, event last week. And that gets back to some of that zoning code not being nimble enough to adjust to today's demands. So hope you'll be here next week to listen to the Bo's Nose Show. We can talk about all that more, and who knows what else will be on my mind next week. And I hope you have a great week and a safe week. I know I'm staying safe and and aware of my surroundings, and I hope you will be too. Thank you for listening to Bo's No Show. Drive safely out there.
All right, we're clear. All right, great. Well, I got to cut and run today because I'm meeting Elizabeth for dinner. Okay. Yeah, we had a little, a few dropouts in in there, at uh, at least on on this end. Yeah, but not too bad, no. Oh, sorry about that. Um, let it happen but, again. <laughs> so, um, I'm glad we got a call. I don't know where that was from. Uh, Minnesota. Hmm. Nothing like bringing up gun violence to to get people to. Call. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm kind of wondering if he's going through and just hitting the, you know, the the blog talks just to kind of get it going. Yeah. But even still, yeah. it was a good call. Yeah, yeah, and it was obvious he was a Second Amendment supporter. Yeah. All right, same time next week? Yep, I think so. All righty, I'll talk to you then. Have fun. All right, thanks, Robin. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye.